0: So I always knew this was something that I I wanted to do and that I was eventually going to, because I would always make notes and do drawings of these kids and it spoke to me. And the last 10 years, I've really started to dive into it more and more. And then when COVID hit, I really had the ability to grind for seven or eight months to say, all right, I got to finish this thing. I want to put it to bed because there's nothing worse than unfinished pro- unfinished projects. Because those are the worst ones. They haunt you because you're so close. And then at some point, you got to put them out. You're afraid of the reaction. You're afraid of people are going to react and not like it. But too bad.
1: Then stay home. Hide under the bed. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, everyone. And welcome back. Or welcome to another episode of Feeding Curiosity. I'm your host, Eric Wenzel, as always. Fading Curiosity is a podcast that explores the human experience. Fading Curiosity is all about conversations, and it's through these conversations that we can learn from other people, their ideas, their habits, their routines, and anything else they've picked up along the way. It is through learning from other people that we can have blueprints to live better in any form. My guest today is Sal Abenanti. Sal is an art rep for the comic book superstars Alex Ross and Bill Sienkiewicz. By night, Sal too is also an artist. And for over the last two decades, Sal has been obsessed with creating graphic novel inspired by a visit he made to Brazil in his early 20s. With COVID, he was finally able to sit down and get back to the workshop and tell the story that has been lingering since that experience. Now, that story is launching on Kickstarter under the name of The Hostage. You can find it in the link in the show notes. I highly recommend you check out Sal's work because I think his style is very unique, and that's one of the things that grabbed me about The Hostage itself, but across all the work that he shares on his social medias. I think there was a lot there. It's part of the reason why I wanted to reach out to him. Beyond that, this conversation gets very interesting for me because not only does Sal truly appreciate comic book art, but art more broadly. And he's truly a master of craft or a student of craft in the sense, as an artist, he talks about being open to new ideas and having a framework that allows you to constantly be receptive to new ideas, whether they may pop up randomly or planned or however they may happen. He's always constantly trying to push himself however that may be. A lot of the times it's just getting work out there and seeing what sticks and what doesn't. I thought this conversation was great and we could have gone for much longer than we did. But again, I think any would-be artists, especially if you're into comic books. So with that everyone, please enjoy this conversation with Sal Abadanti. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Feeding Curiosity. Today's guest is Sal Abadanti. Hi Sal.
0: Perfect, man. I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on.
1: Of course. I I really appreciate it. And for me, curiosity is one of those things that I think is really closely linked to creativity. And so whenever I see people who are doing things in a creative realm and they make it just interesting and it has more meanings behind it, as I looked into your forthcoming release of The Hostage on Kickstarter, I just... So thought there was more there, if that makes sense. It just felt like there was a sense of depth in not only your artwork, but just in the story behind it. And I just wanted to reach out and hopefully have a conversation just trying to understand what it is that you wanted to share with the world, not only with that, but just as an artist.
0: I, I wanted to, I've always wanted to put out, a, I wanted to be a comic artist, but it just wasn't going to happen, at least not mainstream wise. Because I my work was always, it was eclectic, but it was more personal than eclectic. I wanted to go in the front door, and it just wasn't going to happen. DC and Marvel were not going to hire me. I tried. I met with every editor. I went to every portfolio review. I met with everybody. Mm-hmm. And my work was just too personal to me, or at least it's the way they perceived it. I tried to draw a house style. I tried to draw the way that they you know, told me I should and showed me I should. And it just never worked out that way. Th- that's when you have to decide, hey, I'm either going to do something else or I'm going to publish it myself. It was important for me to, to work as a comic artist. It was what I it was kind of like it was all I really wanted to do. And, it, and it, it's like the only thing that shuts the voices up in my head was drawing comics. But that being said, it doesn't mean that people were going to hire me so when i wanted to put when i decided to do an indie title i felt whatever it is music art writing you have to do personal stuff because that's the stuff you have the most leverage emotional leverage with and that's the stuff better than anybody because it's yours it's your baby it's based on your experience now that doesn't mean everybody's going to want it and it doesn't mean everybody's going to love it but if you're going to put you're going to put out an indie book or an indie album or an indie, whatever the hell it is. Because to me, music, art, writing, dance, architecture, it's all linked. It's all creative. It's the creative flow. You're not, you're clearly not going into it for the money. You might go into music to get laid and meet girls. You don't go into comics to get laid and meet girls or make money. You go into comics because you you want to do comics. So once you decide, yeah, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. I'm going to do all the work. All the perspiration is you when you put out an indie title. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do something I want. And The Hostage was based on an experience I had, a life-changing experience I had when I was in Brazil. Mm. So that, that was what was important to me was to, to, this was just something I couldn't unsee, what I saw when I was in Rio. And I felt it was really important to, to convey it you know, in a story.
1: That's really interesting. And and before we go into this Rio story, I want to get unpacked the full like arc of that events, because it sounds like comic books and art are linked. But I think there, yeah. it's one thing to want to be an artist and then another thing to want to be a comic book artist. And right. so where do those things come in for you as like a young boy or whenever either art and then comic books like became a focal point in your trajectory? <clears throat> yeah.
0: I was I was a real pain in the ass kid. I got in a lot of trouble. I got kicked out of a lot of schools. So back in the day, they didn't really have a special ad or a place where they put the pain in the asses, as my mother called it. They put you in a room and they gave you art paper or whatever, and just basically babysat you the whole day. So I used to sit in a room and draw all day, most of my life through grammar school. And when I found comics, I, I knew instantly. The minute I saw the comic rack at the, at the drugstore, the spinner rack, yeah, I, I, it was like I got bit by a vampire. I knew that this was this narrative, This those colors, those primary colors, the zippetones, and that they were using even the smell of them was something that it just drew me in. And, and I, I never grew out of it. I thought my parents kept waiting for me to grow out of it. <laughs> We never grew out of. It. I mean, do, it was, do you have a
1: favorite, or do you ever remember like one of the art styles or favorite artists back then? Yeah, it was
0: always. I was instantly drawn towards John Buscema because John Buscema drew everybody in a Renaissance way. Everybody was beautiful in his anatomy and his flow. But Kirby was probably for me was you know he was the Mount Olympus because what Kirby taught me was comics should be a product of your imagination. They shouldn't, they they are, they're all about exaggeration. They're all about flow. They're all about if you draw a rocket ship, you just make it up the way you did when you were a kid. You don't worry about what does a rocket ship look like? You just make up a rocket ship. So what I got out of Kirby was you should bring your personal experience into the work, not draw like everybody else, because of course, as a kid, you want to draw like whoever your idol is, but Mm -hmm. When I started to get into comics, I wasn't as good an artist as Neil. I had the examples I had were John Busama, Neil Adams, Gil Kane, Gene Cullen. These were tremendous draftsmen. I couldn't draw as well as them. So I had to do my own stuff. I had to make it up. Mm-hmm. And that's a blessing and a curse because your own style is great when nobody, when people like it. But when nobody gives a shit, everybody's oh, you should draw. They
1: always give you those habits or like those little like things, like hey, maybe you try this next yes. time.
0: <laughs> yeah, but you're but the problem when you go around. With, you see, when you want to be an artist and you're a kid and you're in high school or you're just you're just drawing in your notebook and you're 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 laying out a story or a character you made up or whatever. It's fine. There, there's no barriers there. The minute you say you're gonna you want to go get hired and you want to get paid, you're now competing, not only with the editor who has to hire you, you're competing with the professionals that already work in the business. And those guys have been in the business for a long time. You've got to be a certain you know level. And when you talk to editors, you've got to be sure you're talking to an editor that has the ability to hire you because a lot of these editors, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. And I spent a lot of, I wasted a lot of time trying to get into business before the reality of, Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to do it myself. Because 20 years ago, if you wanted to put a book out, it's not as easy as it is now. Yeah, it was way more expensive. Desktop publishing isn't what it is now. It's not as expensive as it is now. Now it's way cheaper. You can put out 50 copies, 20 copies, 100 copies of your book, full color, and not have to worry about it. Back when I was trying to get in in the 90s, it cost you 30 grand to do a, a black and white book, and you had to have a minimum print run thousand or something like that okay great what are you gonna do with 50,000 copies when they show up at your house so now oh you could do and there was no internet in those days there was internet but there was no social media so now if you want to get exposure to your work or you want to meet other creators you can exchange ideas better now than you could back then
1: yeah I was gonna bring that up the idea of being a solo artist like the idea back in the day when Marvel was in the golden age and and stuff like that you really couldn't the pond you could play in, if you weren't really technical artist or fit the style that was popular at the time, you weren't really going to get anywhere. And, and then nowadays, that pond has opened up where now you can go on Instagram or go on to any of these websites and just post yeah. your work and get noticed and just get a following that you wouldn't otherwise have access to because all those artists that would just go to conventions, I would assume. The day. That was your
0: only outlet. Or even before conventions, you had to go to New York. That was where all the publishers Really? I mean, you could, yeah, before FedEx, now you can live anywhere and work for a publisher because you just put your pages oh. in FedEx. Or you scan them and you upload them to the FTP and then it's done. That's why back in the day you had to live in New York to work in the comic business.
1: So why was New York so important back then?
0: Well, that's where, that's where the publishers were. That's where DC was. That's where Marvel was. That's where King Features was. They were all in New York. So you had to basically bring your pages, physically drop off your pages. There was no scanners. There was no, you know, computers. There was no desktop publishing, but What creators, especially I don't care what kids, teenagers, what anybody who wants to get in the comic business has got to understand is that if you want to do this, you should just do it. You shouldn't let the rejection of going to WonderCon or going to C2E2 or New York meeting with a bunch of Jagoff editors stop you from doing your comic. You should absolutely. The business needs indie creators way more than ever now in my opinion, really? because the house styles at Marvel and DC are getting narrower and narrower. Mm-hmm. And even for a lot of big name artists or artists who've been in the business for a while, a lot of them are getting pushed to the outside. So oh, really? the next big characters, the next big concepts are right now, they're in the air. The ideas are like they're organic things that are floating around. And so when guys go to me, how do I get into comic business? Don't ask me because I couldn't <laughs> get at Marvel. Don't ask me because D.C., I couldn't get arrested at D.C. They told me, see you later. So I, I just put a book out myself. Now, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean you're going to be a rock star tomorrow. and that, you know, But at least as an artist, you're able to do, you're able to create your own work. And And as an artist, that should be utmost. Your first goal is to get your work out because that's the only way you're going to get any better. See, that's the tough thing about music and about art and about whether, whatever it is. To get good at it, you got to keep doing it. You got to practice it. You got to be repetitive. You have to put in those, what is it, the 10,000 hours. Yep. You can't cheat. When people want to be a good artist and they go, oh, I'm not a good artist, guess what? You got to work hard at it. Mm-hmm. And you should be able to look six months later and see your work got better. If yep. you can't look six months or a year after, and think, okay, and you think your work still looks great a year later, then you're not doing something right. you got to always feel you're evolving as an artist or you're not working. You're just, you're scratching. You're not doing any
1: work. It's like the, it's the approach to craft, right? Like the idea that you, you just are iterating on something and all you have is like this idea. And this is actually something I heard from an artist, um, a musician one time. And he said that he has a song in his head and every time he tries to create a song, he's just trying to get it as close as to what he hears in his head but he never gets to that exact
0: yeah. thing. Yeah, it's just getting yeah.
1: into infinitesimally closer to the whatever your perceived perfection is, but you're right. never going to reach it, no matter what it yeah. is.
0: <laughs> no, it, there, there, you know, I, it's true. I believe that, like the expression, is fisherman doesn't catch the fish; the fish find the fisherman." It's the same way with creativity. Yeah. When I put out Atomica, I put out an indie book called Atomica. It was it was twelve issues, mm-hmm. and I put it out about seven or eight years ago. And it was my, it was a Soviet character. It was to new gods and Thor. And it was that, and I, it was 12 issues. It was only meant to be a 12 issue arc and it did okay. It was an indie title. So indie titles are always going to, and I thought I would get a phone call. I thought I would get some offers after I put out an indie book and it got published and it was a comic store, nothing, not a peep. But that wasn't like okay, th- that's it. I, I did it. I'm done. I got to walk away because it's either we don't really have a choice. I've always told people. I go being an artist is like running off and joining the circus. The circus doesn't need you. You need the circus. They're not waiting for you. You have to be in the circus. Artists are like that kid who has to look at the shit before he flushes the toilet. Yes. That's just how we are. And if you have to go, eh, or one editor telling you no. Or the rejection, you need the rejection is important because the rejection is, the it defines you as an artist. It, it points you in the direction of, okay, you know, the hell with these guys. I'm going to yeah. do this.
1: I, I, you know? lo- I love the idea of rejection or at least bouncing back from rejection because I think nowadays that like the idea of entrepreneurship, even broadly speaking, kind of mirrors that of an artist where you're going to get rejected a whole bunch of times before someone says yes to you. And so how would you, how do you recommend or even just deal with rejection? Because even for me, the, I can send a hundred emails asking people to come on this podcast and there's a good portion of people that are not either going to respond or they'll respond and then just blow me off at yeah. the last minute. You right. know, and I have to be able to just deal with that at, to some right. degree. And well, it's a struggle, right? Yeah. To say that it doesn't yeah. affect you is would be silly. Yeah but it also makes you question why you do something and you care so yeah. much about it.
0: <laughs> I think you have to do it because you don't really have a choice. It's like I said, you, you don't have a choice. You have to do it. And I, I, I would do it if I was a homeless person. I would be drawing with chalk on the street. I'd be drawing with chalk on the curb because I don't really draw for the re- Yes, sure, of course. Any artist that tells you he doesn't want his work received well and you don't want people to to appreciate it and see it and at least feel like okay there's people out there that know what i'm doing is full of shit because <laughs> there's some art now mind you some artists have bigger egos than others but that's not what should what should drive you Is you should always just try to find some leverage on yourself i try to get angry about it when i, I put out atomica despite the publishers who all told me that that I should, you know, my work is too disturbing or I could never get into comics or I could ever. That should, in some ways, some artists who I've known who are really talented guys, I've known guys that were super talented. The first time they met with rejection, they gave up. Wow. They were done. They were finished. They just, they couldn't deal with with the adversity or rejection or they were too insecure, whatever the hell it was. Mm-hmm. But with me, it's kind of, like I I pride myself on the whole idea that it's, hey, You should do indie stuff. You should be Eddie Van Halen. You should be the guy who's not afraid to do his own thing, even though everybody says you should do it this way. Yeah. You shouldn't be afraid to be the next guy because that's all you really have. It's in your DNA. So that's why I tell guys when they go, how do I get into comic business? I go, I can't tell you how to get into comic business. (laughs) Because I, I wanted to draw Luke Cage. I wanted to go in the front door at Marvel and draw the Eternals and be sent pages and be that guy. Be the and, guy you know, where- I wanted to, you know, because look, you need the validation to know that you're good enough. But at some point in your life, you don't need the validation anymore because I put on my my, my income tax return artist when they say occupation. That's now so cool. I'm lucky I'm lucky enough to where because here's where it became a little bit of a problem when I started to work with Alex and Bill was that these guys are like the 800-pound gorillas when it comes to the comic business. Bill is on Mount Rushmore, and Alex will be there real soon when it comes to comic artists because the work they've done and the volume of work and how great they are. When I see what they're doing, when I see what they're working on, you really want to get a major kick in the ass. Go to Alex's studio and see what he's working on. And then whatever you thought you were working on that you were impressed with, you're now you're now going, Holy shit. I've got to up my game even more. I've got to really, I thought I was comfy, but guess what? I'm not comfy. I got to take it here. So you use it to motivate you. You don't wilt and go, shit, I'm going home. Cause, cause if you're getting your ass kicked in the first quarter, it's only the first quarter. <laughs> you, can't, you can't say, all right, I'm done because look, adversity is part of it. You know, but Use the adversity in your work. Make it show in your work when you're pissed off, when you're angry. I went to college despite my father, because my father didn't want me to go to college. I don't even know if I would have gone to college if my old man would have said, Hey, you should go go for
1: art too.
0: Yeah, yeah, because my father (laughs) didn't want me to go to art. Because for being an artist, because he said, You just want to go and draw flowers with the girls. Oh my God. He thought being an artist was you didn't want to go to work, is what he said, Mm. because they didn't understand being an artist. But I went to spite my old man and you use that, that leverage to get you to do shit. And that's the way I am as an artist. The more people were responding, oh my God, to my art, the more I was jamming it down their throat
1: because I was pissed off about it. Did school shape your style at all or did it help or even just mentors in college that helped refine what it is that you wanted to do with your style?
0: Yeah, you look. You whether you do it consciously or subconsciously, we all steal from everybody. There's no way you not to because it, you're surrounded with it. But art school's a weird thing. Art school's a weird place because you got a lot of people in art school that are just there because the college needs the money, and then you got about twenty percent that are really there because they they got to be an artist or they're a good artist. And being a good artist is relative unless you draw like you're three years old and you're thirty. Then it's like, hey, wait a second. You, yeah, I've had some. I've ha- I've been fortunate enough to have some instructors that you can really change, or, or they teach you conceptual stuff about color and about composition and about things that that you you thought you knew that you didn't know. And I continue to learn every day. I think as an artist, you got to go into it believing that, man, I don't know shit. Mm-hmm. I got a lot to learn. And as soon as you think everything, you're then you're lost, man. As far as I'm
1: concerned. Mm-hmm how do you stay receptive to new either just techniques or just being willing to look at your art or just whatever you want to draw with a fresh pair of eyes I'm just
0: you, you constantly look around at what what you like and you look okay what do I like about it or what what's cool or what do I want to do next or you always got to try to keep your eye on lots of things and inspiration can come from anything it can come from music it can come from a movie it can come, I love when I was in college, I was it was animation, but I was also a film major. Mm-hmm. A lot of silent films inspired me a lot with comics. Oh, wow. Comics are a lot are like films. Comics are basically storyboards of a film, and a lot of the old black and white German expressionist in Nosferatu and Metropolis, and a lot of those movies are like those that era. It's you learn you see a lot of compositions, and you learn a lot about storytelling and and how you can you could take the medium and not see, Oh, it's just comics. Yeah. I, mean, I, I get angry when people go, Oh, it's just comics. It's like, no. It's not.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ex- expand on that. Because I think, especially when I was growing up in the early nineties, I was into comic books. Like they had the ultimate Spider-Man. I remember that refresh they did for around early two thousands. And I want to say 2001 where they right. did the ultimate right. Spider-Man series. And I just remember that was one of the series that I really got into. And, I really didn't tell anyone because it wasn't like this whole Marvel thing now where it's like cool to be into a lot of these things. And so I didn't tell a lot of people about it. And there was always like that undertone even by teachers where it's like reading comic books doesn't count. And I always rebelled against that because I thought that it almost took more imagination to get into comic books because like you could play the movie, like reading the frames. Like you could see how like the artist could put movement into... The actions on the frames, and you can, yeah. there's more depth in it than you otherwise yeah, yeah, yeah. assume. So, I'm just curious if there's anything there for you that you can expand on.
0: Yeah, I mean, look. The- there, a, a lot of it is a cu- it's a cultural thing too in the states. That when you go overseas, comics are taken very seriously. They're revered over there. Mm-hmm. When you go when you're in France and in Italy, really? Wow. In Asia, oh my God! I know. I, mean, I know Asia
1: because of manga.
0: Oh no! You go to Paris. There, there's a comic store on every corner in Paris. Wow. When you go to Italy, you see the way they publish comics. They use the paper they use and the volumes that they create. It's it's considered an art form over there. Yes. Here. It's considered for kids here is considered this folly, even when we were growing up mm-hmm. now, unfortunately, because you can't buy comics anywhere, you used to be able to buy them at a grocery store at 7-Eleven or anywhere you went, comics were more readily, easily available. They've also put them next to comics that were for little kids. Yeah. But culturally, it's changed a lot. and. Well, you never apologize for it. You never, but I understand it. When people go, oh, you're a comic booker, you know. That's why I told you you're not a comic book artist, you're just an artist. Yeah. And anybody who wants to argue with you about comics is like some of the most creative, talented people that are working out there who work in comics. The movie industry is constantly mining the comic book wow. you know world's ideas because that that's where all these ideas people think of oh yeah just the Marvel stuff the Marvel stuff's just the tip of the iceberg oh, yeah. <laughs> of, all the movies, of all the movies and TV shows in the last 20 years that have been stolen or taken or inspired now the movie people the marketing people are never going to let you know that because they're worried about the image that it might tarnish of you thinking oh it's a comic book and you might not take it as a serious whether it's mm-hmm. Sandman or. Walking Dead, or whether
1: Sandman, it's, I love that series. It's yeah, so interesting. or whether
0: it's you know Road to, <laughs> Road to Perdition, or yeah. whether it's a lot of stuff that was originally from a graphic novel. Mm-hmm. They don't want you to know that because they're worried that you're not going to take it as seriously or as as much of a, a the narrative is going to be seen as oh, it's mm-hmm. a comic book. But well,
1: it's you interesting know, never to apologize me, for. To it. me, too, is like I found lately, at least with people like changing their work, it, like they're, they're taking like novels and turning into graphic novels. And I find the idea of playing with medium in the sense of taking the same story and then taking it and turning it into a graphic novel or taking a graphic novel and turning it into a film, it just makes it a broader audience then that would otherwise not see that idea or that unique story as accessible because they're not interested in that particular medium. And it doesn't, like, there's always going to be purists that are going to be, like, upset about changing the narrative or something, but, or not portraying it 100% accurately. Uh, but I right. still think there's a lot to be said that you can transform mediums and play with the medium so that you can get the same story across and get it to different audiences.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of stuff now is being optioned or talked or taken in for television and cable because now we have they need more content with all these cable shows, and everybody's got oh I got an option, I got a this, I got a that, I got a deal, and I think that's great. But if you're getting into it you're getting into business for that, Mm -hmm. good luck, because those (laughs) those don't happen a lot. I mean, because it's like winning the lottery by having your stuff turned into a TV or a movie. And even then, it's all about who's going to put the money up to produce it and to make it into a movie. So you can't go into it with that angle, Yeah. even though, sure, it's great. It would be great to see your stuff turned into a film or an animated feature or or whatever, or something like that, because you always want to see it, Expanded and and blown apart. Even when I did the hostage and I did the, my Kickstarter uh, video, I wanted to animate it. I wanted mm-hmm. to, to people to see it and not just feel it was just the pages were you know just flat images on a page, because you want it to come to life. And you got it. You realize the world we live in now. I got two kids and it's, you, they want, you want video. Yep. You want sound, you want sound design, you want music. You want all that with images. People don't like to look at just flat images anymore. They want the full but experience. So You should always be thinking that way. You should always be thinking when people go, oh, what are you working on next? We this, we that. And so I'm always, I'm only focused on what I'm working on at the mm-hmm. time, but you always got other, other things that you'd like to do. But I always find, don't just pick stuff to work on, pick something that you really feel like, oh man, that would be cool. I could do something really cool with that because you're going to approach it a lot more ambitiously than if you just get, you do something that's already been seen and already been done. Nobody wants your Batman because there's already a Batman out there. They're not going to buy your Batman when there's already Batman. So, you know, create your own situation, create your own.
1: So let's go back and, and let's unpack the story. Then the experience that you had in Rio to, to, that was the genesis of the story that would not leave you. And now that You've spent, I think, on the bio page, it's 10 years of working on this project. Yeah. yeah. Let's just unpack the full story and see where. I, I
0: went, I was in college, it was 1989, 1988, 1989. Mm-hmm. And I, my roommate was from Brazil, he was from Rio de Janeiro. And he invited me to go home him between semesters. So it was like a six week, seven week situation. So I thought, sure, I didn't have any money anyway. So I went and we flew out to, and I went thinking it was going to be, well, I was going to be David Niven walking around in a smoking jacket and an ascot and a cigarette holder. You know, I was going to <laughs> yeah, you know, and on the beaches and it was going to be Shangri-La. I was going to be F. Scott Fitzgerald when I got there. And Rio is all that. It's a beautiful place and it's the beaches and the food and the, the culture and the music and the women and everything. It's a tremendous experience when you're young. The problem is that In the underbelly, there's a lot of poverty. There's a lot of homeless kids. And kids, I don't mean, we think of here in the States homeless, we think of a lot of mental illness and a lot of chemical dependency and a lot of people on the streets that are grownups. They can defend themselves. In Rio, it's predominantly under the age of 10. You've got five years old, old, six-year-old, seven-year-old kids sleeping on street corners. And I'm talking thousands of them. They're everywhere. Sleeping in street corners, sleeping in garbage, begging for food, no place to sleep, no place to eat, doing drugs, sniffing glue, being murdered because the locals hire death squads, which are made up of ex police, ex military, to eradicate these kids because they want them, they just want the problem to go away. And I couldn't unsee these kids. They were everywhere. They're sleeping everywhere, and you're stepping over them. And in their eyes, that thousand mile stare that the living on the streets has honed their instincts a lot sharper. It's brought them a lot closer to God, so to speak, because they're having to live in the street, They're having to sleep on the sidewalk. And I just I couldn't unsee these kids. And it was a major kick in the ass for me culturally, because I went there in my 20s when it's, you know, time of your life. Yeah. And I was there to have a good time and party and go to the discos and Frankie goes to Hollywood and my members only jacket. I was there to you know play Lulu, and this was a major eye-opening experience for me and i came back and i was never the same on on how good we have it here and how just because you're not in a rap video doesn't mean you're not rich doesn't mean you're not wealthy if you've got a roof over your head you got clean water and you got food and you got clothes and a place to sleep pretty damn you're doing pretty damn good you're ahead of sixty percent of the rest of the world already and so i carried this thing around with me for a while. I, I did a few, I started it a few times when I was in college, but I didn't know how to put a comic together. I didn't know it was even an option. And besides, I wanted to draw Devil Dinosaur. I didn't want to draw an indie title. So I always knew this was something that I I wanted to do and that I was eventually gonna, because I would always make notes and do drawings of these kids and spoke to me. And the last 10 years, I've really started to dive into it more and more. And then when COVID hit, I really had the ability to grind for seven or eight months to say, all right, I got to finish this thing. I want to put it to bed because there's nothing worse than unfinished projects because those are the worst ones. They haunt you because you're so close. And then at some point, you got to put them out. You're afraid of the reaction. You're afraid of people are going to react and not like it. Mm -hmm. But- too bad. To then stay home, hide under the bed. <laughs> but the hostage, but see, the other thing about the hostage that I felt I was not comfortable with was the way that comics were marketed when I did Atomica was you put an ad in previous catalog. For anybody who doesn't know, the previous catalog is a catalog that all the comic stores get that they order oh, their monthly okay. books from. Okay. That's what, it's a stick. It's like an, you know a couple inches thick and that's what they order, what's that determines what's at the store when you get there, okay? Mm-hmm. Problem number one, most stores don't buy indie titles because people that go into the comic store predominantly already know what they're after. You've got your books, you've got your set, the pull list.
1: you're want. regular, <laughs> yeah.
0: You're not there to buy Marlboros or Newports yeah. <laughs> or Cool. You're not there to buy Kent's or Lucky Strike. <laughs> brands You've never heard of You have a lot of brand loyalty in comics. Okay, that's the first problem. The second problem is, it's not a very sexy way to give your product that you spent a lot of blood and sweat on. I and mean, you know, a shape. it doesn't get enough. You
1: can't. It's not an effective marketing
0: way. Yeah. Is to put, it to
1: doesn't put get a to breathe, It sounds like it doesn't.
0: It mean, is. It is archaic. It <laughs> is. It, it is medieval the way you you market a comic, especially an indie comic. If you're Marvel, you got your own catalog for God's sake. Yeah. If you're Warner Brothers. You've got all the bells and whistles you got. If you're putting out an indie title, you're like the leper with the most finger. <laughs> you are like, nobody is there waiting for you. When I saw what Brian Polito and Jimmy Palmiati and Boom Studios and even Todd McFarlane were doing on Kickstarter, I said, my God, you can do this. I can talk to you in a video. I can show you some pages. I can at least give the book a shake to where you can determine whether you like it or not. You can look at it and go, nah, not my thing, or sure, okay. With the comic store, you walk in, if he didn't order it, the hostage is, is not going to be there. Mm-hmm. And now, normally you'd go, sure, you go to a con. I'd set up an artist alley or a small press, and then I'd be there doing my little shtick. Guess what? There's no cons. Yeah, And there's not going to be cons until at least 2022, maybe late this year. But even then, it's going to be... Good luck.
1: Yeah. How many so people are not thought, gonna be scarred from the last year and a half to to want to go back out to do those things? I, I, think, I think
0: I everybody wants to do all that stuff. Everybody yeah. wants to go to the show and go to ball games and go out and, and do that stuff. But it's gotta be, we got you gotta feel confident about it. You yeah. gotta when you go to a con, it's about talking to people. It's about shaking hands. It's about bullshitting and hey, how are you? How you doing? Let's yeah. go out. Nobody wants to do that now. No, nobody's ready to do that now but when but i think when the time comes we're going to want to do it more than ever oh we're yeah gonna wanna go I'm, to show.
1: I'm so with you on that one
0: yeah so, <laughs> so that, that's why kickstarter seemed and i wasn't thrilled about doing kickstarter because i thought really? man i don't know i don't know how how i feel about asking people for their support you know yes. it comes across where you're being pushy and i didn't yep. want to come up but then i thought you know what this is this is not, this is a, this is a really effective way to market your product, and these are not normal times. No, these are not. This is not modus operandi. The world is on the balls of its ass right now, mm-hmm. so I thought, you know what? I want to give this a fair shake, and if it doesn't work, I can live with it. Mm-hmm. But if I put it out and it shits the bed, because I didn't try everything I I could to market it a, an effective way, then I then it's my fault. And Atomica started out great, but the last two thirds of the series, really, th- the numbers just started to go like that. So most people never even saw the end of the series. Mm. And and, I, and that was a big regret of mine. So with the hostage, I thought, look, I just want to give it a fair shake.
1: You know? Yeah, I really resonate with that. I think the fact that you worked on it as something that because of the pandemic, it allowed you to have the for lack of a better term, to be able to step in the shop and just really work it and and right. just get the iteration, the reps in to to make it a thing. And I think honestly, even the name might resonate with people when when I think most of us feel like a hostage in the situation of the world right now. And in, in, in a general sense, where we're all stuck in this situation and we're all stuck at home to one degree or another, or just don't have yeah. a lot of options. Well,
0: I, I think a lot of people, everybody I've talked to who has been their experience with this has, has, has been twofold. There's been the first six months, and then there's been everything since. Mm-hmm. And the first six months, we were all like, really? And we were all in shock, and we were all going through the motions, but we didn't really know what tomorrow was going to bring. And the, the, the country was in such tumultuous times with the election and the COVID, and the summer was crazy and the numbers. Yep. And then there's the last six months. And a lot of people I've talked to in the last six months have gotten pissed to where they want to do things. They want to get creative. They want to lose weight. They want to get in shape. They don't want, they're not happy, content being a victim anymore. They want to get their ass out there and do stuff. And that's also what inspired me with The Hostage was I thought, where am I going to be when all this is over? When this pandemic is over, I don't want to have to start from square one and go, okay, let's start building better (laughs) now. It's important to stay busy now and be ready for when the shit is over and you got to get your ass out there and try to, I don't know what normal is going to look like again, but I try to get out. I know. And I believe that Comic-Con is going to be back and New York Comic-Con is going to be back. And everything that we had now, I think there are some things are going to be different. People, more people are going to work from home. And I think a lot of people have discovered that they could do more virtually these types of meetings and and things like that. So that might change things, but I think, all the stuff we, we knew and loved is going to be back. Oh, yeah. So I'm not worried about that.
1: I think there's a special thing about the like the sense of community you get, especially... I didn't really realize that. I listened to a couple of your other interviews you've been doing here and there, and you've talked about the con environment in general a few times. And, and I, I didn't really realize how close all of those people were, but it makes a lot of sense when, after I stopped and thought about it a little bit, it's just the idea that you have your favorite artists or your favorite characters that you love to just talk about and, and shoot the shit with people. And there's a lot of that camaraderie that you don't get. You can still do it over zoom and stuff like that, but it's like, it doesn't feel the same. same. It doesn't feel the same. same.
0: Well, because comics it's different because you're a lot younger and it's, but for me, comics have always been a textile experience. I have to have the comic in my hand. I have to flip the pages. I have to look at it that way. More people now, can look at comics online they can look at yeah, visual stuff in a different visual way with cons you can do both you yeah. can have the, you know that the, that text or you could pick the book up and look at it and move it around because as an art yeah. dealer <laughs> i could saw trade shows are very important as an art dealer because yeah. people need to see the art in person you need to see it under a certain lighting or the frame and the presentation is everything when it comes to that. And it's the same with your comic, but that's what I'm saying is that the presentation of your book, the perception of your book is everything. But if the comic store doesn't even give it a shot and doesn't even order yeah. it because it's an indie title, because look, a lot of, no offense to comic store owners, but a lot of comic stores don't even get to the indie section mm-hmm. of the catalog. Image might be the most that they'll flip through. Mm-hmm. And, and if you're not an image title, that's considered an indie title when you, when you talk about images. You're just not going to get a shake.
1: And it's really interesting you brought that up because I was actually going to ask that, uh, like the difference between, like now the, the Marvels and DCA all have their own digital app with yeah. their comic books and you get like a free digital version if you buy the, the right. Print right. version nowadays. But I think I, I fall into the older category where I'd actually like the idea of having physical copies of everything. I just Yeah. I, well,
0: I, the other cool thing about Kickstarter is you offer, I offer both. I offer a PDF. Yeah which is a lot of people, and I offer it in different languages. I offer it in Portuguese for the Brazilian. That's really cool. (laughs) You know, you can't get it, but you want to see it on your computer, or maybe that's all you want to do is see it on your computer. A lot of people read comics on their iPads or on their phones, and you offer a PDF. Back in the day, the business model was a lot of comic stores were just like, that was it. If they didn't order it, that was was your only option. You didn't have Comicology, you didn't have the iPad, and you didn't. I read her and things like that. I just thought, why not? I'll, I'll give it a shot. And Kickstarter's been terrific. I, I It's a lot of work. I don't I know bet. if I would do it again yesterday because it is a lot of work. And yeah. Kickstarter doesn't play around because it's all about order fulfillment too. If you're not ready to fulfill your orders, you don't even bother calling them, don't even bother setting it up because wow. people, the people have gotten burned on Kickstarter. They donated to items or they followed items, paperware. <laughs> they don't follow up, or yeah. maybe the order didn't get delivered, or it's a year later, it's two years later. So people have gotten gun shy about that. Mm-hmm. But now, when you, the first thing they ask you is about order for film, you've got to show and prove how you're going to set this up, and so that. No one's going to get their credit card used, and they're not going to get the re, full refund if there's any problems, and blah blah blah. So, yeah, it's not like it was. You've you got to really be ready. That's why I, the other thing is, don't even bother soliciting a product until it's done, it's yeah. finished. I didn't want to go. Ah, I'll see how it does.
1: <laughs> there's no lukewarm. The book,
0: <laughs> yeah, man, because it's too time-consuming. It's too labor-intensive to do a comic. To wait and see, and then six months after the book comes, the, the, the campaign's over, you're still finishing your lettering. Because yeah. the fan base doesn't give a shit why you're late. They right. just know you're late. Exactly. They don't want to know your problems. They don't, they don't care about your problems.
1: All they want to know is whether or not they're going to get it, and if it's real. Where's yeah. my, right. They
0: don't <laughs> care. You could get taken by a UFO. You could know, <laughs> get probed by aliens, and they don't give a shit. They don't want to know why the book is late. They just know, hey, where the hell is my book? hmm
1: I think it's such an interesting thing, right? Because this brings in a whole different skill set that you probably wouldn't expect uh, from someone, but I think from your background as being an art rep, you have a better skill set to understand those ins and outs a little bit better, make it less of a daunting thing. I think at least yeah. for most artists, right? Like you just think about doing your art and you love doing it and you're like, maybe I'll try to sell it. And like, then all of a sudden when you start selling things, you're like, wait a minute, this is not what I expected because then now you're turning into a different kind of person or it's like tough. a skill set, yeah. I guess
0: it's tough it's it's tough if you're not ready to go out there and and hustle because you've got to be willing to talk up your product you've got to be willing to you know to tell people about it not be not be standoffish and shy or or snobby about it or ah, you put it out and if they like it if they don't it's like yeah good luck with that because you know you got too many other options you got too many other books you can buy and other, other artists that are out there that you've been around for a long time. So. Yep. You got to be willing to sell yourself too a little bit because it's important. But for me, if they flip through it and it's not their cup of tea, I'm not offended at all. I understand that it's not meant for everybody, but then again, what is? Yeah. You know,
1: I- There's so many things out there, right? There's so many choices to make nowadays with just everything, right? You go on Netflix and there's thousands of choices there. Yeah. And, and, and comic yeah. books, I feel, are the same thing, right? Like you have Absolutely. to find the thing. And I guess a really cool question. I think that I just thought of right now is like for you, what types of comic books or stories, I guess attract you. And it could be either art styles or narrative styles, whatever you want to pick. I I
0: don't know. Nowadays. I don't, it's been weird the last year because I haven't really gone to a comic store in a while, but I'm usually not. I'm very seldom driven by, uh, by the storyline. I always look at the art. I'll look, I'll go down the line and I don't care if it's, I like John Remy. There's guys that I like, Mm -hmm. You know, older guys that have been in the game a long time. And then there's guys that if I see the art and it looks cool. And I was even like that as a kid, I would, cause you always had a lot of Marvel books that had these tremendous covers mm-hmm. and then you open the inside and the guts just didn't live up to it. So I'll always, I'll buy books based on the art. And it doesn't matter if a guy is, is a legendary guy or a guy that's brand new. I'll go, man, I really like this guy's stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I find as I'm getting older I'm buying older stuff. I'm buying masterworks. I'm buying older comics, reading copies of stuff that from the '70s and from the oh, Silver cool. Age.
1: <laughs> Do you have any favorites from any like time period or like stuff that? Yeah, you- I
0: just—it's not much of a stretch. It's a lot of Kirby stuff. It's all the New God stuff and the Demon and Buscema's run on Thor and Gene Colan on Daredevil. And I love more to con- more contemporary guys. I love what John Romita Jr. does. I like a lot of, I like finding certain stuff really charming. Jim Lee, I'm not automatically drawn to Jim Lee because I was never a DC guy. Growing up, I was never a Jimmy. I liked what he did on X-Men. I liked Silvestri. I liked the image guys because I thought it was great that guys were doing their own thing. But I find myself just gravitating towards the stuff. I've looked at all the Sal Buscema stuff. I know I'm missing people. Bill Kane, what Gil Kane did. And I like, and even now I find Neil Adams, of course. Joe Kubert, I love his, his run on Enemy Ace or his his run on Sergeant Rock. Mm-hmm. I'm discovering More. <laughs> older, older DC stuff because I was never into DC as yeah. a kid. And then I discovered a lot of the, what Joe Kubert was doing on Tarzan and on Sergeant Rock and on Enemy Ace. And it's just beautiful. You could there's so much you can learn as a storyteller yeah. and as an artist by looking at these guys to realize. There's not much new under the sun. These guys are doing it all going back to the golden age stuff. There's a lot you can learn from George Tosca and Jack Kirby and Joe Kubert and those guys.
1: Mm -hmm. So what do you think of, like, why was it, why did it seem like comic books languished in the shadows for so long? And then now all of a sudden here we are in 2020 and, and comic books have really just like taken the world by storm or at least been put on the map in such a big way. It's, it's,
0: it's, a lot of it is the age where the guys that grew up with comics, my my age group, are now in the position of the, the guys in Hollywood that are making the creative decision. Mm-hmm. That's the good news. The bad news is, unfortunately, that the comic, the billions of dollars they're making on comic book movies, have not found their way into the print media. If 1% of, of all the people that went to the show and, and saw The Avengers or saw Black Panther, most of the people that are into Black Panther, the movie, they don't even realize it's from a comic book. They really believe that it's just created for the for the cinema. I wish... Same with cons. It's the same when you say, oh, my God, there were 250,000 people or 150,000 people at, at Comic-Con or at, at Mid-Ohio at, mid or whatever. Pick a con. And I'm like, yeah, but buy some comics when you go to a con. Most people go to cons nowadays and they don't buy a comic. They're there for lots of reasons that have nothing to do with comics. Yeah. They're there to get... They're there to get Tootie's autograph. Or they're there to get the autograph from the guy from Walking Dead, or cosplay, or they're there for a million other things. But people are not buying comics, and Artist Alley needs their help more than ever. You gotta. When you go to a con, pick up a comic. If you go see Iron Man, most people have, and two thirds, a vast majority, have no idea Iron Man was created, you know, by J- by Jack Kirby in the '60s. They have no idea that Black Panther was created by two Jewish guys they work them up. they they think it's a new thing yeah. and and my own my point in all that is that I wish people would respect the subject matter they would respect comics and the scary trend is you noticed at the beginning of the Marvel movies especially the early ones the early Iron Man and the early first of chapters of the Avengers at the beginning they have the the credits where it's the flicking pages yeah the
1: flipping through of the okay.
0: you remember how it was? You notice now they were comic images. They were comic pages. Now the flipping are the actual images of the 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 real actors.
1: Yeah. I didn't even think you're totally right about that. And they're they're phasing out the comic.
0: They're almost like they don't, that's gone now. They don't want you to to think of them as comic characters. They want you to think of the real actors. They want you to think of the, of the Chris Evans and the people. Yeah. 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 And it's like that to me, that's disrespectful. That's their way of, pushing out the, the history of this stuff. Yeah. And to me, that's that pisses me off because that's where these characters came from. Mm-hmm.
1: I, I always respected the idea of just being able to show the homage of, I think they've done it a few times where it shows like the lineage of the character as they flip through the, that little intro. It's like the the first drawings of it and then it pans to like the more modern right. versions of it. Right. And, right. I, and I, I just thought that was such a cool little touch. to Like it's like a tip of the hat to like the original artists or the original creators yeah. of, of those characters. And I thought, At least for me, as someone who's grown up with these characters, like Spider-Man being my my all time favorite, like I always, I find it interesting for me, like as these characters evolve and matured. It starts out with one guy, a lot of them being Stan Lee or Jack Kirby in tandem creating these characters, but they like evolve and it's like a passing of the torch with new artists taking over the helm and and new people.
0: No, that should be. I'm not one of those guys. Yeah. To me, they're like Shakespearean characters. Shakespeare would be fine what we're doing with this stuff now. It should change throughout time. It should have an effect on West Side Story to what DiCaprio did with Romeo and Juliet too, what Zeffirelli did in the 60s. It should always evolve. It should always change. But there's something to be said for the credit and letting these guys realize, no, guys, there's nothing to be embarrassed of. And it's really a shame when they try to push You know where this stuff came from. Like it's some like you should be embarrassed. It's almost like when your mom drops you off at school, (laughs) drop you off two blocks away, so your friends don't see you. And then as you get older, you're embarrassed that you used to do that. Mm -hmm. You wish your mom was. I wish my mom was still around to be able to to walk me to school. Whereas when you were a kid, that was like the thought would horrify you because you wanted to to look cool to your friends. (laughs) And that's what pisses me off about comics is they're almost like embarrassed by the history from. where they came from yeah. and it's, these were great creators jack kirby was one of the one of the greatest creators of the 20th century he should be right you know up there with anybody in my opinion because comics are like an american art form oh i agree and i think that there's nobody greater to me there's kirby and there's everybody else and don't get me wrong i got a <laughs> lot of food. but if you had to send one guy to mars to defend the planet okay if, if, the, if the Martians pulled up tomorrow and say hey we're having a contest of your greatest comic <laughs> artist against our greatest comic <laughs> artist. And the loser has to, his planet has to be enslaved for a thousand years with the other. I, I who do you send? You're only going to pick one guy. Who are you going to pick? Come on. It would, hey, it's Jack Kirby and everybody else. Anybody that tells me Jim Lee or, or, <laughs> or, or Joe Quesada. No, no. There's a lot of great artists. You you could argue, think about it. Neil Adams and Alex Toad and Will Eisner and all but none of them can hold a candle to Jack Kirby. So if the Martians showed up tomorrow, I would say you'll get halfway back to Mars and turn the ship around and come back because you're like, Oh fuck, we can't, this guy, <laughs> he probably designed the ship that they're in. Right. <laughs> so there's always been Jack Kirby and everybody else. And I learned from, you can learn from him every day. Every page layout is something you can learn. From
1: him. That's awesome. I've heard so much about just Jack Kirby and, and Stan Lee, just doing my due diligence of just trying to understand the creative genius that those guys were because they were reinventing the wheel, so to speak when right. in their time right. Um, right. to tell stories and just take risks that like no one else at the time, you know, cause yeah. no one believed in the medium. And I find there's a lot of parallels there to me with like, just doing creative things in general, where it's you believe in sharing a story or drawing a certain way that just captures people's attention and you don't know that it's going to, but then you just keep on going and you just say, there's yeah. something here. I don't know why I think mm-hmm. there's something here, but I just got to keep doing it. <laughs> and now all of a sudden it's like, so you get people like yourself who just will swear by those people as laying something so foundational to the the way the art presents itself mm-hmm. that, I, that I just find so fascinating. And it, it's a different quality to have people that care so deeply about these things, right? Because at a surface level people can look at it and be like well, it's just draw. it's just art or just drawings of characters but it's yeah. it's the iteration process and the the depth at which you connect and resonate with characters i think that really draws people into something like comic books because it's at least for me it's like you see yourself in characters in in so many yeah. ways and that's what makes i think comic books itself so powerful for people
0: and it's important when you want to do something whatever it is <laughs> you know, to whatever you're chosen mm-hmm whatever really gets you going but to understand that it's look, it's important to model the best. And not only, even if you're not a fan of their work, because there's artists that people love that I'm not necessarily a big fan of, but I can look at their work and see what's great about it. It's not my cup of tea because when I first discovered Kirby, I was not the biggest fan as a kid. It was, I thought it was ugly. I didn't like Jack.
1: <laughs> That's hilarious.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like, I know. I didn't like Kirby when I saw him, but then it's once you get them, it's like listening to Jimi Hendrix. It's once you get it, you hear it, you hear it differently. You see it differently. And what I saw with Jack Kirby was every layout, every composition, every character design. We won't even get into how many characters he created and what he did. And, and <laughs>
1: I'll put a link somewhere. I'll find, I'll try to find some stuff. I mean, there's a tremendous <laughs> amount of what you can learn from just looking at his page layouts
0: of how he laid out a story, how he laid out an action sequence, how he, his narrative, and what he did and what he didn't do and his lines, his, of lines mm-hmm. his squiggles, where people think those little squiggles are just decorative. Those squiggles are actually movement lines to get oh, your eye. Oh, yeah. You know, how this page, this panel was set up to get your eye to go to this panel and then go to that. But he was manipulating you to do different things. So when people want to get into comics, I tell them, I go, guys, you don't have to like you don't even have to like superheroes. but just look at what Jack Kirby does and look at how he lays a page out and you can you learn it's like a masterclass in a na- in the narrative yeah. of language of comic books. Because so there's a lot of people that don't like you know or be like, ah, come on, Sal, that's old stuff or right. blah, blah. Exactly. I get it. But when you tell me you're oh I'm a I'm a comic artist, right? And I ask you who your ten favorite artists are, and you've never heard of Jack Kirby, it's like, you're done. <laughs> You're in a lot of trouble because you're missing out on, on on leonardo da vinci yeah as as that's what concerned. i was thinking
1: i was like if you're really interested in certain things like thinking about the world like you you yep. eventually you find your way back to the greats like the leonardo's yep. and michelangelos and you just want to yep. understand why they created what they created and like their appreciation to the craft at the yep. very least even if you don't see what it is that made them great right away you can still appreciate the process you should
0: made. always you should art is you should always feel like you're a student. You should always keep learning because the minute you think you don't, you're young. See, the, the good thing about, they call it, I guess, it, they call it Socratic knowledge. Knowing you don't know everything is good. When you're young, it's tough because you think you know everything when you're young. You don't know shit. And that's okay that you don't know everything. But when you think you know everything and you and <laughs> don't, then you're not opening yourself up to learning new things. You start, everything is, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, sure, yeah, sure. It's the same way with artists. A lot of artists get very insecure about feeling like you've got to have all the, it's like you don't, you should always feel that. Look, man, you're going to keep evolving. You're going to keep learning. Be grateful when you see new stuff and go, man, I know how I could use that. Yeah. Or It's cool how he did that because that's, that happened to him too. He learned from somebody. Nobody just, you pick up a pencil and all that stuff that going all the way back to the Renaissance, those yeah. guys, they trained. You know, Michelangelo trained with people. Raphael trained with people under under certain artists and learned anatomy and learned that stuff. So you've yep. got to always feel it. But if you decide, no, you can't tell me anything, <laughs> F you, I know it all, then you're stuck. You're yep. going to be stuck and you're not going to, you're going to, you're never going to evolve as an artist.
1: So for you, do you have any like favorite, it doesn't have to be art books, but it could be art books. Maybe you can break this up into two different things. Do you have any like favorite art reference books for like people to get technique or just different ideas to to emulate off of or just learn from. And then also just other books that you might have had impacts on you or just gifted other people possibly.
0: I, I think you should stick with it's not real sexy, but with the Andrew Loomis books, the fundamentals of drawing with Andrew Loomis are like they're they're the like the Bible, the basics of story of figure drawing mm-hmm. and laying out a figure and composition. Those are even how to draw comics the Marvel way. I know so many people in the business. That was their Bible as a kid. If you want to be a comic artist, right, you yeah. don't want to be just an artist. It's different. I'm talking strictly from the compound. but John Buscema's book is as straightforward, cut to the chase fundamentals that you could have for a kid. Because for kids, when a kid says he wants to be an artist, they need encouragement more than anything. They need confidence and they need encouragement. And they need to just draw a lot of up sketchbooks. But How to draw comics the Marvel way. Even some of it that you don't understand it or necessarily grasp how it's going to help your work. It's important to know that there's, you know, how it's important to know how the hot dogs are made. You know how this stuff doesn't just flow out. That there's the composition is put together a certain way. How you lay out a figure and then how you know how to draw people. How you draw heads. Because it's not always sexy. You got to draw how to draw heads. How to draw feet. How to draw hands. A lot of guys want to jump right in and draw their big you know, battles right. and, like, <laughs> and they want everything to be pinups and everything's not going to be a pinup. When you say you want to tell a story, you have to be, you have to do a narrative. You have to be a storyteller. It can't all be pinups. And most kids, when they look at their notebook, it's all pinups. Yeah. So you got to know how to tell a story effectively or editors are just going to close the book mm-hmm. and move on. So I would say the Loomis books are great. You got to draw comics to Marvel. Way is great. There's so many great, the new master's Academy, Online has classes where you can, you know, like bucks a year or whatever. Yep. There's tremendous anatomy classes in there and tremendous designers in there to talk color. When to use a color is real important in your work because it can evoke emotions, mm-hmm. uh, composition. they'll, they'll give you lessons like from the old masters in composition, not real sexy when you're young, but when you get into your twenties, that stuff is really important. You know, how to lay out pages and different things. So I would say, You got way more tools than you had when I was growing up because you got the internet. (laughs) Well, you got the internet now. You, you you know, you, you had to, it had to be a book when I was a kid. Now you've got the internet to go off. of. But the most important thing is to draw the most, the single most important thing is to fill sketchbooks Mm -hmm. and not feel like they all have to, everything has to be brilliant. Play with markers, play with watercolors, play with pen, you know, play with everything. Yeah. and, And not be afraid to fail because most of your best stuff is going to be happy accidents and things you really weren't planning on, and you're like, okay, uh, I, I learned something from that.
1: Do you have any favorite like tools? Like, what are your favorite medium to draw with or sketch with? Do you like I, pencils or anything like that?
0: I, I well, I, I I had an advertising advertising. I worked at the Burnett for a while, So I use markers a lot, and okay. they were fast. They were fast, and then I learned to use a lot of like turpentines and things like that to get shading and movement but then when i started working with alex i started to use gouache a lot more it's a different kind of watercolor oh, so i would say I'm, I'm different in the sense that i use everything i yeah. use big pens i use markers i use flares i use watercolor i use whatever i use white out pens a lot i like the smearing of that i like the mm. texture so use whatever gets you there you don't <laughs> feel like it has to always be perfect it's okay to fool around and, and mess around with different mediums.
1: That's so cool. I, I know there's a little esoteric question, but I, I find it fun to find the little like the things that seem insignificant, like it's because it's not sexy to talk about those things, right? Like it would be like for me to explain how I set up microphones and stuff like that or do audio yeah. mixing. But those little things, those little like flourishes, I guess, that you that that you get to express yourself with the tool that All allows right. you to to just feel like you understand it at a deeper level than someone who's just an amateur, right? Yeah. I think it's It's really fun. (laughs)
0: Well, I mean, look, it's important to fail a lot because those are experiments. It's it's important to experiment a lot. It's important to to draw a lot of stuff that really doesn't have a home. You're just fooling around, Mm -hmm. you know, because then you're not afraid. You're not as, you're not thinking in a refined way. You're just thinking about a creative flow. It's Mm -hmm. important to just think about in the abstract sense, because that's where your ideas will come from. And then and letting stuff breathe, work on something, and then walk away from it. And come back in a few, in five minutes, and you'll be surprised. Sometimes you're like, "Okay, that's not as bad as I <laughs> thought," or it's, you see it with clear, you see it with, with fresh eyes, and then yeah. you're like, you like, "See your mistakes more," and and that's where you learn from. You do, know, you, that, that, do you have that, like
1: a specific routine around flow, like w- like a habit, like to get you into flow or into writing or drawing? I, I started. I didn't always do it, but I start warming up now. Warming up
0: is important. Just sitting down and fooling around a little bit when I'm on the phone or when I'm watching television. I got I got two kids, so when they were little and I was watching them and I couldn't, con- you, know, you can't concentrate. Storytelling, you got to concentrate. You got to sit down. You got to be left alone. You know, I did what was called sketch of the day, which was I used to try to put a piece up every day on Facebook or whatever. Yeah. I would just think, think of a character and I would and I'd draw it out and I'd marker it out and I would I'd use sharpies. I'd use things that I found. No, I'd use things I found so at the, cool. the grocery store. I'd use highlighters. I'd use whiteout pens. I'd use sharpies. I'd use big pens. I would throw. I'd spill coffee on them. I mean, I was not, I
1: mean and so it, was, cool.
0: it It allows you to keep working. It allows you to not make mistakes. And every one of those was just an experiment. Yeah. It was fool around, and and so that when I go to when I go to to jewel. I still, to this day, I go to the the, the stationery section where they sell the, the typing paper and the pens and the markers, because I'm always buying stuff there that I see that I can use. How can I use that? How can I use this? How can I, different markers and different pens. And every time I'm at the art store, which unfortunately is not lately, I always look around at just whatever you can take, whatever you can get a texture, get a new texture from or something, or or. Spilling water on things can help a lot or using a spray bottle, or using bleach sometimes can give you a certain. So, that's... so it's all, it, 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 you know, there's really no rules. It's just, it's all tools. It's all different shit. You know?
1: That's so, that's such a cool way of looking at it. I feel like people, especially not people who are considered themselves to be artists, look at art so strictly about perfect lines or perfect shading or perfection,
0: you know. to <laughs> some people that's their discipline that's yeah. what they do and but it, the other stuff's good too I, mean, yeah. look at, look, there's a, I learned a lot from just looking at Bill Sienkiewicz's work mm-hmm. for how he got to where he wanted the piece to be and he didn't really necessarily worry about how he got there he just used whatever he was in his means to get there and that's okay to be sloppy and spill stuff and be dirty and not be like it be like the next guy because that works for him but that might not work for you. Eddie Van Halen took his guitar apart, you know, <laughs> created Frankenstein. And now people think about oh you know wow that's great. But it's at the time they probably thought he was crazy. Yeah. they thought what the hell's the matter with this guy he he doesn't know how to even
1: play guitar. <laughs> <apart>. Yeah.
0: So <laughs> right. you know, but it was something he wanted to experiment with. And I'm sure a lot of the stuff he did maybe didn't work out, but there was stuff that he found. And it's the same way as an artist don't ever be afraid to surprise yourself, especially in your sketchbooks. But get good sketchbooks. Don't get shit paper and shit. <laughs> that got a nice, a nice tooth to them and can soak watercolor. Do, do you
1: have a favorite like piece of paper or style of paper that you? Yeah, had?
0: I started. I like to work I, when I paint. I like to use. I, I like a paper that's got a little bit of teeth to it. But watercolor paper can be a little too rough sometimes, and especially when you use markers and pens, it can chew up the the the, the, the points. So I, I use that. I've got some nice sketchbooks that I've bought, you know, with watercolor paper that I use for my experiment. I experiment with them with water and different paints. And then when I paint, I like to use a nice uh, paper. that has got a nice tooth to it. That's, you know, three-ply and then tape it to the board. So that way when you add too much water, it doesn't start. Yeah. To,
1: it doesn't curl uh, on you.
0: It doesn't unravel <laughs> on you. Yeah. yeah
1: that's, so. that's so cool. It's, it's so interesting to me because I just like the – I've always just been – it, like an explorer with things i find myself as an explorer with thinking but i'm an engineer by training but right, i, I right. like to just tinker with things behind sure. me i have my drum set and things like that and it's just for me it's like what can i just do with something like here's a whole bunch of tools and what can i just make with it that's that that's yeah. fun for me and like what yeah, i'm just yeah. getting from our conversation here is just you take the same approach with just how to draw and use paint and watercolors sure. and, all that stuff and just be like, what can I just make as an image take from my brain and put on a page? And it's right. such a right. cool you know, way of seeing the world, but also just allowing yourself to explore without limit. So we're already over an hour and I don't want to keep okay. you too much longer. Wow, yeah,
0: we are. Yeah. <laughs> but um, my wife's going to think I'm having an affair. <laughs> just when My going to think I'm at the disco. Yeah. Right.
1: Know? Just one last question before we do a little wrap up, but I like to ask in general, do you have any advice for someone who's smart, young and either just entering the real world or, or possibly now with COVID people have to pivot because of circumstances out of their control And they just need to do something new and what would your advice be to someone who just has this feeling that they need to do something or have a dream they've always been wanting to do like how would
0: i can only speak for artists what they've got to understand what the young artist has got to understand is that we the business needs you desperately it needs you desperately it needs fresh blood it needs new people it needs new ideas it needs new styles it's not going to be easy. They're not going to put their arms around you and give you a big kiss. But th- there's there There's a home, there's a place for you, man. There's, and especially if it's something you really want to do, you really have to do. I cannot recommend putting your own title together. Get together with your friend who's a writer or a letter. You can letter your own book now for you know, 50 bucks. You can get software. You can color it digitally. You can color it by hand. But if you really want to be a comic artist, there's ways to, it, it's not about Marvel and DC. It's not just about those guys. That's great. If you get you, you want to draw Iron Man and that's all you can do, then God bless you, go draw Iron Man. But if you want to do comics, there's don't feel like if there's only one door to go into. There's a lot of doors to go into. And the most important thing is just to keep working and do something that's personal to you. The hostage was tremendously personal to me. That's what motivated me to sit down and work on it every day and not worry about what it was going to look like and not worry about, was it more people going to want it or not? I, I had to do it. I wanted to do it because it was cool to me. COVID coming out of COVID. I think even more, I think it's tough right now for people because a lot of people we the morale in the country is not that great because people feel like, Oh shit, where are we headed? But I think we, we need the audience the audience doesn't know what it wants. If the audience knew what it wanted, it would be an artist. You know, <laughs> audiences need artists, yeah. and you know that art is what makes life livable. Whether it's music or whether it's art or whether it's what artists do, if anybody could do it, they would, but they can't. You're, I believe, you're either born an artist or you're, or you're not. And my wife was; she'll say when my son draws, and she's, like, "Can you teach him how to be an artist?" And I'm like, "I can't teach him." <laughs> No, I can't teach you how to be an artist. I can teach you how to draw. I can teach you how to play the violin. It doesn't mean I can teach you how to be a musician. There's a big difference. There's a difference in you're part of this club where you're almost like psychic, where you're the only one that hears those voices and other people don't hear them. And but what kids when they go to cons, it could be very intimidating, it could be very daunting. But don't let it be, because every one of those guys, whether it's Alex Ross or Bill Sienkiewicz or Jack Kirby, they all started in the same spot. They all started as the kid who drew in his notebook. They all started as the kid who, you know, his friends, he was, because look, for people like me and a lot of artists, it saved our lives. We became an artist because we didn't, we were that kid who was a little stonada We were a little fucked up. We were quiet. We were in the corner. We were not the one that hung out with the popular kids. So that's usually become an artist. So. It's it saved a lot of people's lives, music and art and the arts. So always remember how important the artist is to, to society. And when I see the same old regurgitated shit and the same old artists and the same old comics, it's it's discouraging because comics are are not what they were 20 years ago. And every year it's the year old oh, comics are dying. Comics are dying. And I think they're they're stronger than ever, but. We need new blood, man. We need. I'm an old guy, and but we need we need young kids. We need young guys that wanna. I want to see their versions of because the next Jack Kirby. I don't know where he is now. He's out there. (laughs) Yeah, out there. I don't know where he is. He's probably not listening to my bullshit. But he's out there. (laughs) But if he changes his mind and decides, oh, I don't want to do comics because nobody gives a shit, then we're never gonna know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So. I, I love it, and honestly, half of the reason I do these conversations is to hopefully inspire people to do the thing. It, it doesn't have to be comic book art, but whatever the thing that you know, whatever it is. Is speaking to their soul that they Absolutely. should be doing, yeah. they should go and do it. And for- a lot
0: of people hear voices when they wind up in a in a nut house. <laughs> the, di- the difference is artists hear voices, and it's because it tell, it's telling us we got to get to work. It's telling us to go draw. It's telling us to write. It's telling us to you know create music or create whatever. That's that's what the voice is telling. I tell my wife that all the time. I'm like, the, vo- the only way I shut the voices up in my head is <laughs> drawing and drawing. That's all I can do. Yeah. She's like, really? You hear voices? I go, it's a metaphor. Yeah.
1: yeah <laughs> it's not really voices, but it's just, there's this.
0: Well, I still hear my mom's voice in my <laughs> head. It's always her, you know, her calling me a son of a bitch, but that's different.
1: Sal, <laughs> this has been awesome. I really appreciate you taking the time to yeah. talk to me and, and just... Talk about Stay what here, it is that you care Thanks about.
0: Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah.
1: yeah. If there's anywhere people can uh, connect with you on the internet, Instagram or anything like that, you can share it. Yeah,
0: it's, it's Mercury Comics on Instagram and on Twitter or Sal Abadanti, Or if they just go on Kickstarter and you search and you type in the hostage, you'll see the book come up or they want to give it a look, or give it a shout or even just comment or send me an email and tell me what they think. It's That's, that's cool, man. That's why it's there.
1: Yeah, and I'll have links in the webpage so everyone can find.
0: Yeah. Also, all your yes. Stuff. So send me a link to what when you post this, yep, so that I definitely I post it as well and, and on our on all our platforms yep, and everything.
1: I'll, uh... I wanted to take some time here and talk about how you, the listeners, can support feeding curiosity. I've always believed in providing more content to whoever listens to this of value than what you'd ever pay for. I don't like the idea of having to sponsor myself with products I don't use or believe in. If it's something I use and believe in, then sure, I will talk about it and I will do everything I can to do that. And I have done that on this podcast before. Not sponsored, but I've talked about many products that I believe in. But in the aims of choosing to create a new model model, that i believe in and that we should all be striving for is breaking ourselves away from the subsidized model that ads provide. And so with that, we have turned on the uh, anchor.fm support structure which allows you the listener to subscribe to our content at the level of your choosing. That is either a 99 cents, 499 or 9.99 a month. Meaning that you the listener and me the creator can be transparent about how much value you see in our content. And by doing so, that allows me to have more resources to ever increase the quality of this content. And that's not to say I won't be doing this anyways, but it breaks me out of the loop of having to worry about those things because there is a lot of time that goes into this podcast. But I love it. And I hope that by you choosing to support the podcast, you know how much I care about the quality of this content. And so with that, everyone, thank you all for listening. And I hope you enjoy.